Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, Grumla. It is always a privilege to be with you, and it is an honor every time I am asked to speak. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that allows uh, people to use their gifts and their talents, and I love when I'm able to use my gift of teaching. I'm thankful to the Lord uh, for that and thankful for Grumla. Uh, but before we dive into today's message, I wanted to invite you to join us for our upcoming worship night this Thursday. It's one of the best nights of the summer when both campuses come together with the sole intent being worshiping God, the God who gave us everything, who withheld really nothing from us, including his very own son. And something special happens when we come together with no agenda except to be thankful and sing our praises to God. And I know for some of you that may be new, like the whole idea of worshiping and singing for an entire hour might feel uncomfortable. But I want to encourage you with this. You will not be alone. You will not be the only one who this is new to. So many times in our faith, uh, we have to step out into areas that might feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so I just want to personally invite you to come God is going to show up in a special way, and I'm confident that you will be glad that you came. All right, so take that as us, our personal invitation to join us on Thursday. Shay's backyard, too. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. You get to go see the pastor. All right, so we're going to jump into our message this morning. You know, God is worthy of our worship. He's a perfect father who, like I said, withholds no good thing from us, even his very own son. And when we understand the love that our father has for us and the length that he went to reconcile himself back to us, that means to make us right with him again. When we understand that, our natural response is worship. And worship isn't just singing. Worship is a whole being response to the goodness of God. When the reality of what God has done for us sets in, it transforms us. It begins with our heart and it manifests itself in the way that we live. And this is what Jesus is explaining in Matthew chapter 5, which is the passage of scripture that we have been studying for the last eight weeks. In Matthew chapter 5, we find what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a discourse of what it looks like to live as citizens of God's kingdom. And Jesus begins this sermon with what we call the Beatitudes. And over the last seven messages, we've been unpacking nine statements that Jesus used to tell us who were the ones who were truly blessed. Now the word Beatitude comes from a Latin word that means happy or blessed. But you know, the Greek word gives us a richer meaning, which is one who is fortunate and a blessed recipient of God's grace and his favor. A beatitude is a supreme blessing that has a divine component. It's a blessing that's reserved for God's kids, those who are called the children of God. 
Now, I think it's important for us to know what the Beatitudes are and what they are not. And so I encourage you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 so you can follow along and you can always get out your phone, pull up your YouVersion app, and you can follow along there as well. All right, so let's do this. Let's start with what the Beatitudes are not. Well, they are not a list of behaviors that teach you how to get into the kingdom of heaven. They're also not a challenge for followers of Christ to perform up to a certain standard in order to earn God's approval. Rather, the Beatitudes provide a framework for the people of God to understand what it means to be a part of his kingdom. They communicate the value system of the kingdom of God. They're a description of the lifestyle of those who are children of God. And they show the great reversals that God's kingdom is ushering in through Jesus. And that's why we called this series Upside Down, because the Beatitudes show us an upside down way of living, one that is foreign uh, to the natural ways of humankind, but is essential living for the followers of God. They are a high and holy calling from our King. You see, when you accept Jesus through faith, you're adopted into the family of God. You become a child of God. And that word child is so important for us to understand. When we join God's family through faith in Jesus, uh, his sacrificial work on the cross, God adapts you. You aren't brought in as a member of the club or a friend of a friend. You become family. You become God's son, God's daughter. First uh, John 3, 1 says, see how much our Father loves us, for He calls us children, because that is what we are. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you are now God's child, and your Father is a king. And kings have a kingdom. And when you're God's kid, you belong to His kingdom. And though your sonship was a free gift given to you, there are expectations of how you should live as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, this is your high and holy calling. And Jesus, in our passage in Matthew chapter 5, explains to us how his kingdom operates. And heads up, it looks nothing like the kingdom of this world. And Jesus starts with this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you think, what? Blessed are the poor? Well, to the original hearers of this word, they would have understood that Jesus wasn't talking about a lack of funds in their bank account. He was talking about spiritual poverty. But even still, it was a pretty outlandish claim. Why would those who are spiritually bankrupt receive a supreme divine blessing? I mean, the ones who were worshiped in Jesus' day were the ones who had the most education, ones who had the most training in the law of God. Certainly, those were the ones who were blessed, right? But Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom, not one where right outward behavior and a strict adherence to rules determine one's position with God. Jesus says, in my kingdom, there's the ones who are supremely blessed are the ones 
who know they are nothing without me. And then he goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Well, that sounds ridiculous. Why would those who experience deep grief and sorrow be the recipients of God's grace and favor? What are you saying, Jesus, that it's good to experience the pain of hurt and loss? Well, this is what it may sound like. But what Jesus is saying is God's favor and his blessing rests on those who feel deeply sorrowful over their sin. Those who recognize that they're poor in spirit, that they're in debt over their heads, that they're a slave to their sinful nature. Jesus said, blessed are those who are overwhelmed by the reality that he paid their sin debt for them. And oh, what comfort they receive when they realize that their sins have been forgiven. And our sin debt paid by the Son of God, well, that humbles us. And that's why Jesus said in the next one, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. And he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. I mean, this is just upside down living in our world. Who hungers and thirsts, meaning who gives their entire life, all of their passions, all of their desires to live according to God's standards. I mean, aren't we told to live for ourselves, do our own thing, YOLO, you do you? Well, not in God's kingdom. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You see, in God's upside down kingdom, you don't give people what they deserve. You treat people as image bearers of God. You treat them as ones who have immeasurable worth and value. You treat them as people whom Jesus saw fit to die for. You treat them like God treated you because he doesn't give you what you deserve. He doesn't punish you for your sin. Instead, he gives you grace. That's his undeserved, unmerited favor. And then he adopts you into his family. And then Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. In God's economy, in his kingdom, your heart motivation matters more than your outward behaviors. Your inward character trumps your outward conduct. And then our focus for today is Matthew 5, 9, where it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, just as I mentioned when we talked about what the Beatitudes are not, this verse is not how we become a child of God. We become a child of God through faith in Jesus. Rather, it's explaining that we are called children of God when we emulate our Father in heaven. Meaning the world recognizes us as citizens of another kingdom when we behave like our Father, the King. God is peace. He is a peacemaker. It's not something he does. It's who he is. And God, since the very beginning of time, has demonstrated this to us. In the very beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and he says they were good. And then he creates man and woman, and he declared that they were very good. Uh, we were the crowning creation of all that God had made. And we were made to have perfect fellowship with him. We were designed to love and worship him in an environment that was untainted by evil. There was no sin, no shame, 
no knowledge of what it looked like to be separated from our Father. But this wasn't enough for us. We wanted more, and we disobeyed God, and we broke His heart. There's this remarkable verse found in the book of Genesis. That's that very first book of the Bible where God talks, uh, where God tells us about how he created the world and humans and how we disobeyed by walking away. And in the sixth chapter, so only like six chapters into the very beginning of the word of God, it says this. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. God's heart was deeply troubled and he regretted that he made us. I don't, I don't know about you, but that verse takes me back to blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted because the fact that my sin breaks God's heart grieves me. And I think about how often I take for granted what Jesus did for me. How often I, I think that my sin is small or, or, or no big deal. And I forget that my sin breaks the very heart of God. So what does he do? He's mourning over the fact that we walked away, that his love was not enough for us. So does he completely destroy all of humankind? Does he turn his back on us? Does he forget his creation or give up on us? Nope. He did not, could not, would not, because he loved us too much. So what did he do instead? He made peace with us. He could have destroyed us. He could have given us what we deserve, but instead he chose in love to show us mercy and give us what we did not deserve. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, not to say, okay, that's it. I'm done with you. I'm coming to punish you. But he came to save the world through him through Jesus. God, through Jesus, showed us what it looks like to be a peacemaker. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us, for God was in Christ reconciling, that's that word, is making us right with God, restoring a right relationship, making right what we had screwed up, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. That in and of itself is incredible. God doesn't count our sins against us. It is almost too much to understand. Like God is just so good. He, he constantly is pursuing and making peace with them. And Paul goes on and says, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. It is a wonderful message that God no longer counts our sins against us. And he go, says in verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be our offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we now have peace with God. Romans 5.1 tells us, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done 
for us. God is our peacemaker, and peacemaking is the characteristic of the children of God, those who have become sons and daughters through adoption and faith through Jesus. We are now members of the family, and family members resemble one another. Our Father is a peacemaker, and so are we. His children follow in His footsteps. So I'm going to give you two really practical ways that we can live out peacemaking, ways that we can emulate our Father in heaven and be a peacemaker. And the first way is this. We tell people about Jesus. Now, in studying for this message, I found this statement in an article that I read, and I loved it, so I wanted to share it with you. It said, peacemaking will have evangelism, which evangelism is, is just a fancy word for sharing with others who Jesus is and what he did for them. So peacemaking will have evangelism as its first priority. Well, why would our first priority as peacemakers be sharing what Jesus did for us? Well, it's because without Jesus, there is no peace. The kingdom of this world says that peace is when you choose a side, which by the way is my side. The worldly way of peace says, here's a line right here, and you must stand either on this side or you must stand on this side. There's no in the middle. Here's the line choose a side. And by the way, when you come to your senses and you come over to my side, that is when we will have peace. The way of the world, the way of the peace of this world says when we all agree, and by agree I mean take my side, then there will be peace. But you see, this is not peace. It isn't real. Agreement based on opinion and preference is only the appearance of peace, not true peace. Peace does not exist outside of Jesus. Peace is not getting along with the person beside us. That's just outward behavior. I can pretend to like someone and behave in a manner that is appropriate with another person, but this isn't emulating the heart of my father. Simply putting up with someone is peacekeeping and you see, peacekeepers, they mind their own business. They stay quiet so as not to rock the boat. They keep the peace so that they feel comfortable. But this is not the way that Jesus modeled for us to live. This is not the way of a peacemaker. Peacekeepers stay out. Peacemakers wade in. Jesus waded into our mess. God didn't sit back in heaven and say, well, you know what? They got themselves into it. Now they're going to have to figure out how to get them out of this mess that they have created. No, Jesus waited in to our mess. He entered into humanity and he loved us. He loved even those who would reject him. John, one of Jesus' closest companions while he was here on this earth, said this about Jesus. He says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. And this is one of those verses, just like the Genesis verse, that grieves my heart because I think as a parent, what it would feel like if my kid looked at me and was like, I don't want anything to do with you, mom. See you later. 
I'm out of here. The rejection of, of the child that I, I carried in my womb, that I, that I fed, that I clothed, that I cared for all those years, grows up and just says, see ya, how much that would hurt. And, and that is what we did to our creator, to our father. But even this didn't stop our peacemaking God. Because the very next verse says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. God gave us the evidence of his love in his son. And when we believe in him, we are called his children. And it becomes our privilege to tell others about this wonderful news. When we share what God has done for us, we are peacemakers and we are called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And the second way is this, we live at peace. As children of the Prince of Peace, living in an already not yet reality as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and as citizens of this kingdom, we have to live at peace with others. Romans 14, 19 says, so then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. So you see, what, what is it that promotes peace? And it is love. And I don't mean loving those who are easy to love or to loving those who love you back. We love like our heavenly father loves us. We wade in. And Jesus says this in Luke. He says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Jesus is saying, even the people who don't even know me, even the people who live in this world as citizens of this world, they do that. What credit is it? And he goes on to say, and if you do good only to those who do good to you, again, why should you get credit? Even sinners, even people of this world, people who reject me do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners, again, people who don't love me, people who go their own way, who don't want anything to do with me, even they will lend to other sinners for a full return. But Jesus says, I say, love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting like children of the Most High, children who belong to another kingdom. For he, talking about God, is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Did you catch that? God is kind to the unthankful and the wicked. You're like, say what, Jesus? He's kind to the unthankful and the wicked? And Jesus says, yes, love your enemies. And then you will look like me. Then you will emulate your Father in heaven who is a peacemaker. Do this, Jesus said, and you will truly be acting like children of the Most High. God, our peacemaking God, does not give us what we deserve. And children of the Most High don't give others what they deserve. They make peace. 
So you know that neighbor? You know the one that doesn't mow his lawn, the one that plays his music too loud every weekend, the one who warms up his car in the middle of the winter and his muffler is non-existent? Does it sound like I might be explaining a personal experience? I don't know, you'll have to come to that conclusion for yourself. But you know that one? You know that neighbor who, fill in the blank? Well, a peacekeeper ignores him and thinks they're doing God a favor by not blasting them with their offenses. But a peacemaker bakes some cookies, knocks on the door, and hands it to him personally. You know that family member? The one who hurt you? Instead of writing them off or complaining to another family member about them, you love them. How? I don't know. But you ask the Holy Spirit how. It probably starts with forgiving them and forgiving them fully the way that God has forgiven you, which means it's fully gone, erased. Remember that God doesn't hold our sin against us any more seem impossible? It is without Jesus. But it helps to remember that we will never forgive someone for more than Jesus has already forgiven us for. We emulate our Father in heaven when we make peace and peacemakers forgive. One more example. You know the person you vehemently disagree with? The person on the other side, the other side of political lines, the other side of pharmaceutical company lines, the other side of that line? A peacemaker steps over, wades in, and loves. You may never agree with that other person. That's okay. You don't have to. But you can love them. And we love them by listening, by listening to their experiences, listening to their disappointments, listening to their hurts, listening to their joys and their triumphs. You don't have to agree with people to love them. But disagreeing with them does not exempt you from being a peacemaker, from waiting in just like your peacemaking God did for you. Your king and father is kind to the unthankful and the wicked, and he loved his enemies, and his children should too. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And no one said that it would be easy, but what a privilege it is to live in this, in, in, as a citizen of another kingdom, a kingdom where one day God will right every wrong, a kingdom where there will be rewards for those who choose to take the narrow road and be a peacemaker like their Father in heaven. So church, let us live as the children of God and be a peacemaker in this world. Let's pray. Jesus, I love that truth that we will never be asked to forgive someone for more than you have already forgiven us for. Thank you, God, that you are a peacemaking God, that you didn't look down and said, well, you know what? They've screwed up too much. They have gone too far. Forget them. I'm writing them off. I am done with them. But yet you're a God who wades in, wades into our mess and rescues us. Thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you have withheld no good thing from us. 
Father, I ask that you would help us to do the hard and holy work of peacemaking. That we would leave our peacekeeping ways aside, that no longer would be people who ignore others, who just put up with others, who just act a certain way to be right, but we become peacemakers and truly love. And God, that is an impossible task without you. I am not capable of loving people the way that you love them unless you are living in and through me. And so God, I, it begins with me just asking you for forgiveness. God, I am sorry for the times I have not waited in. I am sorry for the times I have stood on the side and said someone else will do the work of peacemaking. So we ask you, God, corporately to forgive us. And we ask that you would make us a people that the, the church, that the Big C Church and Grumlaw Church would be people who are marked by their Father in heaven, people who look like our King. And God, give us the ability to be peacemakers in this world. Help us to be bold in sharing what Jesus has done for us and telling others that Jesus has done the same for them. We love you, love you, love you. Thank you, Father. Amen.